Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we have the Miami Heat team preview up next in our series. Ben and I talk to Nikias Duncan and Christian Hernandez of Five Reasons Sports in the Miami Heat Beat podcast about Miami's crowded wing rotation, Hassan Whiteside, corner sniper, and why Nikias hates Dwayne Wade. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the post on Detroit Bad Boys. It's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what the fans want. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I'm pleased today to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Doing great. Another one I've been saying this a lot, but another one I'm looking forward to. Talking about a team that uh, expecting the Pistons to be battling for uh, the bottom of the playoffs in the East. So anxious to get some local knowledge. we got a couple of great guests, so anxious to hear from them. Yeah, we have uh, the Miami Heat today, and to help us cover them, we have Nikias Duncan and Christian Hernandez of Five Reasons Sports Miami, or Five Reasons Sports and the Miami Heat Beat podcast. Uh, how are you guys doing today? I'm Either doing... one of you can talk. <laughs> I'm, wait, I'm waiting for Nikias to talk because sometimes he doesn't like to talk, so I want to make sure that you know he goes in first. You know. Oh well, then I appreciate that, sir. I am doing pretty well. <laughs> Yeah, I'm also doing pretty well. I mean, you know, tough end of this game, but, you know, like you said, preseason. It's not a big deal. Exactly. We are recording this Sunday night at the tail end of the Miami Heat-San Antonio Spurs um, preseason game. There uh, there has been no news on the Jimmy Butler front, so when that happens, like, tomorrow morning and this podcast is, like, already rendered moot, that'll be fun. <laughs> but uh, I want to start you guys off <laughs> with the question we ask everyone to begin the team previews and uh, we'll start with Christian Uh, give us the one word that sums up Miami fans feelings about this offseason and uh, explain why Uh, frustration I mean between the fact that they had no real capability of making any kind of run at at free agents the only real drama was whether Dwayne was going to come back or not you know obviously when your season ends the way it did with a pretty unimpressive first round exit to a team that ended up getting kind of smoked in the next round. Um, It doesn't give you a lot of optimism when nothing changes really. So that's why people are really fired up for this Jimmy Butler stuff. And that's why, you know, you've been saying it's going to, it's going to drop tonight. We've been saying that every night for a week and we're dying over here. Nikaya, same question. Um, I would say impatient, kind of like what Christian said, there isn't much flexibility for Miami to do much. So you kind of understood that was the direction we were going to take once those four-year deals were signed. But now you kind of see just how cluttered the roster is and how frustrating it is to be in the middle, even though it's only been a couple of seasons. Um, So Miami fans are definitely ready to get out of that dreaded middle. And now you add in the Jimmy Butler anxiety and it's just all worse. So we've talked around Jimmy Butler like a little bit, like just at the start. 
Um, I know you guys at Five Reason Sports are a little bit more plugged in than me. Uh, is there any movement on the Jimmy Butler front? Uh, what's the what's it looking like? The the framework of the trade would be were it to happen sometime in the next forty eight hours or so. I don't know. So oh, Nikias, that that's all you, Nikias. Yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not the sources guy. So yeah, Nikias has had sources on this uh, quote unquote sources on this one. So what's what's the I deal, Nikias? But from what I've heard, they're pretty much in a holding pattern at this point. Um. Miami doesn't want to give up Josh Richardson, which makes sense because he's probably their best young asset right now. Um, Bam Adebayo's upside obviously um, excites a lot of people, but right now Josh Richardson is proven and still has room to grow. So he's the one guy they definitely don't want to give up in this deal. And Minnesota, it just doesn't seem like Minnesota has gotten anything that would force Miami's hand yet. And on top of that, though, this front office is a mess. So right. You really don't know what it's going to take at this point. Yeah, that was one of the things that that Ethan reported a, a few days ago was that uh, supposedly the the Heat made their final offer on Thursday morning, and it's kind of a situation where like, look, this is what we're going to give you, and you can take it or leave it. They, I'm sure, on some level, they probably understand that no other team can offer anything better than what they offered. So it's it's really a matter of just trying to wait them out, I guess. I mean, I'm surprised Fibs hasn't been fired, to be honest. I've also kind of been waiting on that, but I think it's it'd be hard to fire a guy who just led your team to the playoffs, right? And that's what a lot of people have said, yeah. So, like, I'm curious, what what would you want the framework of the trade to be? Like, if you're the GM, Nikias, let's start with you. Um, what what deal would you do? Um, From Minnesota side or Miami side? From Miami side. Uh, from Miami side, I would probably part with, um, I would try to see if Tyler Johnson, Justice Winslow in a first would do it just because nobody else is really offering anything. The only other, the other serious competition Miami has right now is Houston. And at last check, they're pretty much saying we're not giving up PJ Tucker. So if that's where there are, there's really no reason for Miami to pull out all the stops yet. Christian, what do you think? I mean, honestly, that is a more than fair offer. I don't even know if I would offer as, as much as, as Nikaias just did. I would probably try to offload one of, you know, Dion Waiters or Hassan Whiteside, you know, especially if you're going to take back a guy like Dieng, which is something that has been reported on that the Minnesota's trying to do. So, you know, it's, 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 but it's like you said, they just don't have leverage here. So I, 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 I hope they don't overpay. Because I think they're going to sell Jimmy Butler on staying if they do make the trade, but you still don't want to give up a lot because then you could that changes the outlook of the team in the short term. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So enough on the hypothetical roster. As interesting as that stuff is, uh, let's talk about what you guys currently have. Uh, as we're just literally weeks away from the season starting, last time we looked at the over under, uh, we saw Miami at forty one point five wins. Where are you guys coming down on that? Uh, Christian, let's start with you, over or under? Uh, I would say over, just because, you know, Eric Spolstra-led teams tend to overachieve. Um, It's going to depend on health, obviously. Health, the last, man, I want to say ever since really LeBron left, health has been a big plague on this team. And it obviously leads to, you know, using a lot of different lineups and not a lot of continuity, which doesn't usually help. So, 
I, I hope they shake up this roster. It's just too many guys that should be on the court. And that's honestly what makes it so hard to predict how the season is going to go. You don't know who's going to get the opportunities. You know who's going to, you don't know who's going to break through, which of the young guys are going to take a next step. There's a, there's a lot kind of in the air, which is I think why a lot of fans are a little bit anxious going into this season. Nikai has 41 and a half wins over or under. Um, I would also go over, um, the rotation, I think, is going to be a frustrating point for a lot of fans just because, like Christian said, there are so many players that deserve minutes. But that's also a bit of a positive because injuries do injuries can pile up in the NBA. And with Miami having conservatively 11 rotation-level players on the roster, if they do miss someone, I don't think there'll be that large of a drop-off. And with the season being as long as it is, um, I think having that amount of depth is going to help them rack up some wins. All right. So – I'm. I, I need to be convinced of this, right? Because I I didn't watch a ton of the Heat last year. They've been sort of up and down. The big concern I see to, on their roster right now is limited depth at point guard. Let's say Drogic misses twenty games, right? To me, that seems like it could be pretty crippling. Um, how do they overcome that scenario if it happens? What do they do if Drogic go down? Who steps up? What does the rotation look like, especially in the backcourt? Uh, in either one of you guys, whichever you want to take that on. Uh, Christian, you can start that one off. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't think it's it would be such a huge concern, assuming you still have guys like like Justice and Dwayne and you know even James Johnson a little bit to kind of be secondary facilitators. I mean, Kelly Olynyk. Um, the team's done a good job recently of bringing in guys who can kind of play a facilitating role, maybe although maybe not a primary one. Um, but I think it's also a lot of they just have to. I think the way that they're going to maximize Justice Winslow is to have him playing a point guard role where that really takes advantage of his size and playing bigger lineups. So, and Spolster showed a good amount of that here in this first preseason game. So I'm hoping that that's more, you know, they do more of that going into the regular season. Nikaias, any thoughts on that depth Um, at point guard or any other positions that concern you? um, I think, Point guard and small forward is kind of where I'm a little bit concerned. Not so much more point guard because, like Christian said, Miami has so many ball handlers and so many guys that can move the ball. I don't think you would miss that aspect of it. You would miss Gorn just because he's their most consistent scorer. But in terms of guys that can get other players in their spots or that can create looks for themselves or others, I think Miami has enough depth to do that. Dwayne Wade is there. Um, As much hate as Tyler Johnson gets for his contract, he has become a reliable secondary ball handler. Um, Justice Winslow should be playing point. Josh Richardson took a leap as a ball handler last year, so I don't think Miami would lose too much in terms of um, creating shots. Small forward kind of bothers me just because of how small Miami is in the backcourt. They have (laughs) maybe – I mean, it feels like they have 100 shooting guards. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even list Tyler Johnson and Josh Richardson, which just kind of goes to show you – that there are too many guys on this team that can play a role that's significant. So, Nikias, you're going to have to explain point guard justice to me and, and the world because when I see him, I see him as like a, a tertiary creator, right? Like a who a guy who turned himself into a good spot-up shooter and who would be like a good defender of point guards. But like, mm-hmm. I don't know if he's bringing the ball up the court every every possession. I don't know how I feel about that. So you got to explain point guard justice to me. Um, just looking at Miami's roster, I think Justice is comfortably the second best passer on that team. 
Um, I think the way that he manipulates defenses with his handle, the way he runs guys off of screens, he probes, he snakes around picks, he knows how to move corner guys. Um, he just plays and has a pace like a point guard. Um, he can make those cross those cross court passes off of, out of pick and roll. He has the pocket pass in his um, repertoire. Um, I still remember back in 2017 before he had his season cut short with the shoulder injury. The one play that stood out to me was against the Spurs in the opener. Um, high pick and roll on the left side of the floor. He goes around the peak, snakes around, um, draws two defenders, and then flings a laser to the right corner to James Johnson around two defenders, right into a shooting pocket. And that's just that's not something that you can teach. And the fact that Justice isn't a great shooter, you kind of want the ball in his hands to kind of mitigate the um, the spacing issues there, so guys can't sag off. You put the ball in his hands, you at least make another defender account for him. Okay, I can I can see that. I can see that his handle must be better than than I remember then, because I don't remember. I, I see him like I see him snaking around pick and rolls, but if they like switch or if the defense just kind of like doubles him, I don't know like how he uses the live dribble to escape that. But that's neither here nor there. And like the switching stuff happens more often like a playoff scenario. Yeah, I think the biggest issue with Justice at this point would be his finishing. And I think that's the next step, trying to develop a little bit more of an in-between game or getting more consistent at knocking down shots at the rim. Because I think defend, I mean, defenders obviously try to sink under to force him to shoot, but he can still get to his spots. And that's kind of where the playmaking shines when he gets downhill and forces defenders to react to him. So once he becomes a better finisher, or if he becomes a better finisher, then he can be more effective on ball. Yeah, and we kind of saw like a flash of it against the Sixers because since he was actually hitting his three-pointers, you had people closing out on him, which you hadn't really been seeing all season. For the most part, people were daring him to shoot. Um, anyway, yeah. Um, but no, yeah, I mean, when, when guys were closing out on him, he was doing a good job of taking them off the dribble and really was having no problem getting to around the basket. It's just finishing is the area that obviously is huge and he needs to work on. So if he can really work on that in the next year or two, I mean, he's still only 22 years old. He still has a lot of upside. So that's interesting. We'll be watching for a point forward Justice Winslow. I have to keep an eye on that. That sounds really interesting. Uh, So Miami, Detroit, two teams who are sort of widely agreed upon as being bottom tier, fighting it out for the, the last few playoff spots in the Eastern Conference but still pretty different teams. In your minds, what do you think might be the biggest difference between a team like Miami and a team like Detroit? And, and Christian, I'll kick this one to you first. Um, I mean, you guys have one of probably the most brutal front courts in the league. Um, you know, that's just two very physical presences. So I guess really it depends on what kind of uh, player we're going to see in Hassam this year. Um, he looked really good tonight. Uh, apparently, he, he got a personal trainer in the offseason, uh, which I guess he did not have in the past. Um, and, you know, he's trying to work on the things that are kind of hurting him, which, you know, I would imagine are like his lateral movement and and his stamina. So if, if he can be an impact big man to the level of an Andre Drummond or, or Blake Griffin, obviously very different player than Blake, but um, I think that's one of the biggest differences between our teams. Kelly is, I love Kelly Olenek, um, but he's more of a stretch big. So it's, it's a little bit a different of a style. So I would say that's, that's the most unique thing to me about the Pistons. Kais, what do you see between the two teams that sort of set them apart from each um, other? The biggest difference to me would kind of be the guard play. I think where Miami has 
arguably too much depth at guard. Um, obviously, going Dragic is probably the best guard between the two teams. Um, I think point guard is kind of an issue for Detroit. You're banking on healthy Reggie Jackson, who has – I mean, he just has not been healthy over the last couple of years. And behind him is Ish Smith, and then beyond that, there isn't much – in the terms of creation there, where Miami has a lot of ball handlers that they can rely on to kind of get things going in the offense. So we we opened up a little bit about Hassan, and uh, Hassan got himself a personal trainer, like you said. He's been working on his game, but uh, he seems to be swept up in, in the big man revolution, and now he's taking threes. I saw I saw a corner three made by him in this preseason game. Um, that's how did it, how did, did Nikias feel yeah, about that? I would love yeah, to know. Uh, we're dealing with that with Andre do you, <laughs> too. So you know, how are you guys feeling about uh, Hassan Whiteside corner sniper? Um, I'm not a fan of it. Like in a vacuum, I feel like you would rather have him taking corner threes, kind of like Jonas Valanciunas, ah, excuse me, in Toronto, just to kind of make defenses spread out a little bit more. And you don't really want to post up Hassan a lot. So I guess that's a slightly better alternative. But my biggest thing with Hassan has always been work on the little things first. Because I think the screening, um, establishing deep position, those have been two areas that he's needed to grow in more than he's had to develop a three-point shot. I just feel like the three-point shot is just gravy at this point. Chris, how, how, are, you, how are you feeling about uh, Hassan Whiteside shooting threes? I mean, I've always I've been a little bit more open minded about it than than Nikaya. That's just because, I mean, he's he's shown to be a relatively capable spot up shooter from mid range um, as he kind of grew his game out. And obviously, you know, it, it is what's happening in today's game. Everybody's taking threes. You know, we 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 know the value of it now, um, and that's why teams are focusing on it so much. Uh, the only thing that's a downside with Hassan taking them is that he is truly an elite rebounder and that kind of takes that aspect of the game away from him if he's playing so far away from the basket so it's i'm okay with using it every now and then but it shouldn't be a big part of the offense yeah and as i jump into like i was gonna gonna prompt you ben because like this sound that sounds very familiar doesn't it yeah like that's my thing with andre like so i'm a big believer in the importance of possessions, right? So avoid turnovers, generate offensive rebounds, one shot for the other team. So a guy like Andre Drummond fits really well with that sort of philosophical approach to basketball. And like Andre Drummond shooting threes, like to me, he's the best rebounder on the planet, arguably. And, um, you know, let's say he takes 82 threes, right? Like he takes 82, one, one a game. So that's 82 possessions plus however many possessions he's spotting up for threes that he ultimately doesn't, take so that's two more possessions a game to me that's like three possessions where you're just willingly taking yourself away from the thing that you are the best on the planet at doing and I don't know I would just rather have anybody else than Andre Drummond uh shooting threes and I don't know sounds like maybe there's at least a little bit of that for you guys with uh Whiteside as well yeah yeah I mean I was gonna say there's only one guy I can think of that I could for sure say is a better rebounder than Hassan and it's Drummond. So I could definitely see the trepidation from your guys end. So one guy I kind of breezed over a little bit in the uh, log jam rotation of the wing was Derek Jones Jr. Uh, I loved what I saw out of him from summer league, but uh, obviously as we've talked about, 
there's a very crowded uh, small forward, you know, big shooting guard, small power forward uh, rotation in Miami. Uh, is he destined for Sioux Falls, or is there a way for him to kind of stick on the on the main Heat team? Um, he signed a regular contract over the summer, so I do think he's going to be on the active roster. As far as him actually cracking the rotation, I think is it's really going to take a couple of injuries, honestly, because he's just so buried behind a lot of vets that are more rated than him. In a perfect world, I would love to see Miami carve out a consistent 12 to 14 minutes from him just because he's such a ball of energy and you want to stretch him out um, let him get some reps guarding great offensive players because he has the length and athleticism to defend. But he reminds me a lot of rookie Josh Richardson, where he does not know how to navigate screens at all. And he kind of relies on that athleticism to um, recover and get those crazy chase down blocks. He actually had one in the fourth quarter of the um, preseason game. But um, I would love to see him get more reps just so he can get better defensively because I think that's going to be his calling card. Um, he is just completely raw offensively outside of lobs. So I would, I kind of expect him to be buried at least early in the year unless some guys get hurt. That's fair. Chris, uh, what do you think about Derek Jones Jr.? I mean, it was hard not to love what you saw from him um, during summer league. Uh, he showed more of a shot than he did in the small glimpses we got of him last season. Um, and, yeah, I mean, if he can prove to be anything more than an athlete, um, on the offensive end especially, I mean, that would be a huge help to this team. I mean, his size, his length, and his athleticism, he just reminds me kind of like a souped-up Gerald Green. And it's still – it's hard to believe that he's only 21 considering, you know, he already started in, in Phoenix and then he got shipped out of there pretty quickly for some reason. Um, so I'm, I do hope he gets some playing time, but just like Nakia said, I'm pretty skeptical of him really carving out a role just because there's so many guys on that roster. Again, a lot of things are fluid apparently though. That's very true. So another guy I wanted to talk about was Goran Dragic a little bit more in depth. Uh, he very quietly lost like a quarter of a step last season. Uh, in your mind, Chris, was that like an injury thing or was that an age thing? My, is he gonna is he gonna regain that half step or is it just gone gone forever? I, I saw he got held out of practice a couple of days ago with an ankle injury. I don't think I think I saw him in the first quarter tonight, but like not playing heavy minutes. So like, I don't know. Uh, is will Goran like still be the reliable scorer and ball handler that uh, we know him as? Yeah, that's. I think that's kind of a tough one. Um, I know Nikias uh, had kind of in some of his analysis had kind of pointed out how it seemed like. Goran was losing a step, especially when it came to things like finishing around the rim um, and, and drawing fouls. But um, I, it's it's also hard to say if it was because, you know, he was playing a lot of basketball the summer before last season. Um, I believe that was that was the summer where they won the uh, the Euro, the Euro basket. Right. I think so. Yeah, that sounds right. That was right. Yeah. Um, and so obviously he was he was playing a lot that summer. He didn't really have much of a time to rest and, and recoup, which I've heard was different for him this summer. So, you know, he did look good tonight. He looked spry. Um, I hope I hope that he can sustain that over the course of the season. Um, but we'll see. It's I mean, he's getting right near that point where players start exiting that prime. But obviously everybody handles it differently. Yeah, Nikias, what did, what did your analysis, I guess, show about Goran losing a step? Um, biggest thing, I think he dropped around 3% at the rim last year. And it actually ended up being, I think, the third straight year that his um, field goal percentage at the rim had dropped. 
AppleCourtNBA.com. Um, the biggest thing that stood out to me was how he defended. He's never been a great defender, but within Miami's team scheme, they play more of a drop coverage scheme. So all he really had to do is fight over the top of the screen and stay connected. And Gorn just found himself trailing guards more often than I had ever seen him. And when you have Hassan kind of on a bum knee, Bam Adebayo still kind of learning the intricacies of defense, Kelly Olenek doesn't have much foot speed, Gorn getting beat as often as he did just put the defense in a bind. And they still finished well on the year. But just that slip just let you know, okay, Gorn is starting to get a little up there. I think the summer played into it because he definitely played a lot of basketball last summer. That kind of, I think, fatigue played a small part. But just in general, I think that was the time you could see that his foot speed was going down a little bit. Bam. I totally forgot. I didn't forget about Bam, but, like, I don't have Bam <laughs> on my sheet. And, like, no, I, we need to talk about Bam at a bio. Uh, <laughs> so it's like what Bam is clearly he can't start next to Hassan especially with the front court cluttered as it is. Um, But he's also like too good to play that like 15, 20 minute a night uh, backup center role. So I guess like what, what's the plan to expand Bam's role in Miami? Because he's definitely earned it in my mind with his play last year, uh, Christian. Yeah. um, I I guess the hope for this season is that, he kind of plays more of the role of the four, which, I mean, if, if you could play Bam and Hassan next to each other, I mean, assu- assuming the defense works out, which it really should, um, I mean, I think you could do a lot of interesting things. But, um, I mean, the at the same time, you know, we've seen Bam, you know, during practice sessions, and he was playing the Miami Pro League this summer, and there were a lot of, you know, videos that came out. He, he has a very comfortable jump shot, and he can clearly take threes, but he didn't do any of that last season. So I'm interested to see how the team plans to use him, um, you know, once he actually gets some playing time in the preseason, and if they're going to start letting him have a little bit more reign that way, because that could change things a lot for the team. But then again, you have so many guys that could theoretically play the four. I don't know how you manage it all. So why didn't he play tonight? Is it a, a ankle injury? What was it? They said a, a, an issue with his AC joint. Okay. Um, like a strain his or what? something. <laughs> I know. I, I had never seen that in an injury report, but I said, I'm, I'm going to look at it. We'll up. just call it maintenance because that's honestly all it was. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, it can't be much more than that. Because he was practicing just a couple days ago. in the yeah. scrimmage yesterday. So I think... Right, um, right. Just keeping him rested. So, Nikias, what, what's... Uh, can Do you think that Hassan and Bam can play together in a front court? Does that make any um, sense? I wouldn't want to see it. I think in the small amount of minutes that they did play last year, I remember the defensive rating of the pairing being really good, but the offensive rating also being in the 80s. Ooh. So there are obvious offensive yeah. um, limitations to that duo. Though I do think um, it would hurt me personally, but if Hassan does become <laughs> a reliable corner three-point shooter, then there's definitely four out um, oh. possibilities there to have Bam rolling and kind of have Hassan spot up. Yeah. I mean, I can I can see the theory behind it. Like, Hassan would never have to have his shot challenged. Yeah, that's, a, that's definitely I mean, a right? positive. He's... 
but like the ultimately the the best scenario for Bam though is like playing next to Kelly Olynyk in like a more traditional front court and Hassan like not being in the picture as much. Well, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. just need to find a tear. <laughs> well, hopefully Minnesota is feeling generous. Um... <laughs> would you would you trade? Uh, would you? take on all of Gorgie Jang for, for Hassan Whiteside and the ability to, to play Bam the minutes he earned. Gorgie Jang is not very good at basketball. <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, I, but he wouldn't be playing much, I don't think. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, oh, man, it's so much money. I mean, I, but so is Hassan. Hassan's a lot of money. He's going to be, I think, $27 million next season, which he could opt out. It's a player option, but I, do you think he opts out of $27 no. million? I don't think so. But at least you know, like, when he wants to, he can be a good basketball player. Like, you don't know that with Gorgie Jang, right? Like, that's the problem. I guess, yeah, that's a good point, right? Like, Gorgie Jang, he just doesn't give you a ton, but he consistently gives it's you a ton. describe <laughs> that is that yeah it's grab some rebounds hit some mid-range jumpers the awkward and one get blitzed defensively that's really <laughs> about it so and of course uh players uh players end with Dwayne wade Dwayne wade's back uh he's not gonna take the 30 mil in china or whatever it was gonna be he had the long drawn out uh players tribune video he's coming uh i forget with oh man what was his hashtag it's like one more time or one, la- one, one last, last dance. dance. There we go. Wow. I'm glad I missed that <laughs> hashtag. <laughs> so what, what is his role in this team? Right? Like I'm pretty sure he's not going to start. Uh, last year he was fairly effective as a sixth man, uh, especially down the stretch and into the playoffs. And he played a lot of crunch time minutes, I think to Nikias's eternal consternation. Um, <laughs> what, <laughs> I was gonna say, do you know what Nikias's most read piece ever is? No, tell me. <laughs> Nikias, do you want to say what the the title was? Oh man, why I hate Dwayne Wade. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, and it's and it's funny because it's a really thoughtful piece, and it really isn't about him hating Dwayne at all. But it's kind of the ways that. Having him around kind of, yeah, it throws things off for the natural growth of some of these younger guys. Yeah, I remember that was like an open question before he left the first time. Like he was limiting, there was was fear that he would limit the development of uh, of a Justice Winslow, of a Josh Richardson by being a guy who had the ball in his hands all the time. Clearly, that's not the role that he's going to have moving forward, but like what... What will his role be, Christian? Yeah, um, I mean, I think, I think it's, I think everyone's on the same page that he's going to be coming off the bench and having more of like a, you know, just kind of like a back end leadership type role, kind of mentoring some of the younger guys. Um, and I guess I'm, I'm hoping that he's going to be trying to play more within himself. But um, I guess that's the tough part about changing the way you play after so many years. I mean, Dwayne is used to being a star. Uh, he's used to, you know, taking up a lot of possessions and, you know, it's, it's always, it's, sometimes it's hard to get guys to get out of what they've always been doing, uh, especially if it's for the betterment of the people around you. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see. I still think Dwayne can bring a lot to the table, uh, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how he manages that balance. 
Um, I think the fact that he played off LeBron for four years has already kind of prepared him for that kind of secondary role. So I think it'll I think it'll be good overall. Nikias, uh, if I remember correctly, Wade was especially useful on the floor for Bam Adebayo, like in in the pick and roll. Uh, do you think something like that continues, where uh, the old head kind of instructs the young guy on where to be and, and where to have success in uh, on the court? Oh, absolutely. He already has a rapport with Bam in the pick and roll. He obviously he's still Hassan Whiteside's best pick and roll partner. He appears to be the only guy that can consistently throw lobs to him because God bless Goran. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, man. But um, I think Dwayne's best asset right now is definitely his passing. He just has a way of getting to his spots, manipulating those defenders, and getting other guys open. And since he isn't a plus shooter at all, you kind of need the ball in his hands just so teams can't crunch the paint. But um, with Miami's lack of a pure point guard, I think Dwayne could slide in nicely as the backup point guard there. He's also going to close out games. Like, that's that's just a given, no matter how much sense it may or may not make on a given night, that he's earned that. Um, he's been Miami's clutchest player. Um, he showed out in the playoffs by his standard, well, by anyone's standard on the Heat roster last year. Um, mm-hmm. So I think you're definitely going to see him taking shots and making plays at the end of games. I'm not sure exactly what his minute load is going to look like. So, so the question I want to ask, because I, I didn't watch a ton of Wade in Miami last year, but part of me wonders if he's still, like, just on his merits, right? So just on the play, warrants consistent rotation minutes. Like, that's where I'm at with Wade. I, is it that bad? Like, or it, like, did the Miami Heat have to choose between paying homage to Dwayne Wade and giving him his minutes and winning? Or is that just a, am I just completely off base with that? Um, I mean, well, just because I still remember this, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Dwayne led the Heat in plus minus in their series loss against the Sixers. So he was still he was still very much being effective, but it was in ways that I wasn't really expecting. Um, ever since he re- he got back to Miami and he got really after a couple of weeks that it took him to get back into kind of Miami Heat level shape. Um, his defense was a lot better than I was expecting from him. Um and I think that's one of the biggest things with obviously an aging player. If, if his defense can stay, you know, still kind of average to maybe even if he, at points, he was playing some really good defense. Um, if he can still bring that, um, I think we can kind of put up with him, you know, throwing up a three for 13 every now and then and things like that. Nikaya, since you uh, wrote that piece that we just discussed earlier, what do you what do you think to that question? Oh, man. I'm trying to decide if I want to get yelled at or not. <laughs> yeah, it's it. Detroit fan, so you can say what you want to say. No one in Miami is going to listen to this. <laughs> I can unload it. But no, on a serious note, um, Dwayne was mostly fine when he returned to Miami last year. He obviously made his biggest impact in the playoffs, and he pretty much single-handedly won them their only game in that Philly series. But um, the numbers certainly don't bear that out. Um, he was fine in the playoffs, and that was a five-game sample. Um, once he returned to Miami, he was a net negative on both ends of the floor. Um, for all the talk, Justice Winslow did seem more comfortable on the floor once Dwayne Wade got there. 
but Justice was a lot better in terms of net rating, in terms of per 36 numbers. He's a lot better with Wade off the court. Um, so it's just kind of hard to find that balance between Dwayne Wade being a wealth of knowledge, still being that crafty vet, and when he's hot, still a versatile offensive threat that can get to the line, can pick you apart and pick a roll, and kind of living with those bad shooting nights or the iffy transition defense and things of that nature. Um Christian pointed out how Dwayne defended pretty well when he came back, and he did. Um, I was looking at Synergy a couple of weeks ago, and he graded out very well defensively during the regular season once he returned to Miami. Then I hop on NBA.com and look at, okay, let's get a picture of who he's been guarding. And like two of the three names at the top of the list in terms of possessions he was guarding was TJ McConnell, um, TJ Warren, other non-shooters which it makes sense because you kind of want Dwayne on a non-shooter just so he can roam because the basketball instincts will never go away. He is always a guy that can play the passing lanes, can right. read when the shot's going up and fly in for a weak side block. But in terms of on ball, he's obviously lost a step, and then the effort isn't always there either. So it's just trying to strike that balance between making sure he's on the floor to help the young guys develop, giving the fans something to cheer for, but also making sure that the floor is spaced making sure you have guys playing defense all the time. So I'm just curious to see how Eric Spolster is going to try to balance that this year. All right. Um, so shifting gears to kind of projecting the team as a whole, not just uh, individual guys. Um, what do you think is the best case scenario for your team? And then the flip side, what's the worst case scenario? Uh, Christian, we can start with you. Best case and worst case scenario for the Heat this year. Um, I think best case scenario I mean, I was going to say this before when we were talking about Bam, but to me, he's the real X factor on this team. Whatever he turns into, does or doesn't turn into, um, is really going to shape how this team is going to be moving forward. If, if he can turn into the kind of big that we see him, you know, taking the ball up court, making smart passes, you know, learning how to finish around the rim, maybe hitting some threes, kind of doing it all with the size and athleticism he has. You could see a team that could shock people if they make the playoffs. Um, but then again, at the same time, you have a lot of veterans. So I'd say best case, these some of the young guys take a big leap and the Heat make a surprise you know, series win in the playoffs. And who knows, what's, at that point, if you win one series, you never know how far you can take it. Um, but at the same time, you have a lot of veterans making a lot of money that you could argue have guys behind them in the depth chart that should be kind of getting more of their minutes. So if they hold them back, it could end up being a lot of mediocrity with too many lineups and never knowing which way you're going to go. So, and they could miss the playoffs. There's, I feel like the East is going to be more competitive this year. So it's, I don't think there's a huge variance of what can happen, but you know, they, they can definitely have multiple routes that this season can go down. Nikaias, best case and worst case for the Heat this year? Um, Best case, I can see them kind of, if they figure out their front court rotation and you get another leap from Josh Richardson, if just if Justice Winslow solidifies himself as a reliable spot-up shooter, um, he shot well last year, but obviously the volume was kind of low. Um, if those young guys take a leap and they have any semblance of health, I could see 45, 46 wins. With the rest of the East, I'm not sure if that puts them in the top four or if that puts them in that four to six range. But then it becomes a matchup game, and Miami has a lot of different bodies they can throw at people. So a first-round series win wouldn't surprise me in the best case. 
Um, worst case, I'm kind of going to agree with Christian there. It's really going to depend on, A, how the young guys play, and B, just how much opportunity they get. Because at this point, you just need a young guy to pop so you can either trade them for a star that Miami desperately needs, or they become that guy and it kind of raises their overall ceiling a little bit. Because right now, there just isn't much room for them to go. They're going. I think they're pretty confidently a playoff team if they stay reasonably healthy. But they also don't really match up too well with like Boston or Toronto, especially Toronto now with Kawhi instead of DeMar DeRozan. Um, they just don't have that one guy yet. So you need you need someone that could either draw that guy or one that or a young guy to pop so he becomes that guy. And if that's hindered in any way, I think that hurts them more long term than short term. Nikaias, how, how good do you think this team could be if they do get Jimmy Butler? Assuming they don't give up more than one of the young guys. Um, I think with Jimmy Butler, I would probably slot them at five right now. Just I have to see how they jail and stuff. Because of right now, I don't see them above Boston or Toronto. I don't see them past Philly. And you never know what the deal is going to be with Washington. I'm kind of torn between them, Milwaukee, and um, Indiana. But I think they could easily get into that kind of tier with those three teams. And then, again, the playoffs are are about matchups. It'll just depend on who they get. Do you think they'd be more equipped to fight a, a Boston or a Toronto with Jimmy Butler? Or oh, absolutely. Like okay. Does that, does that meaningfully change anything in your mind or no? Um, not really. I think okay. the biggest thing about Jimmy is drawing the second guy. Because you, you're going to need two stars to compete in the East now much less against Golden State or Houston. So I think getting Jimmy Butler helps you um, draw the attention of another guy, a Kyrie Irving or someone of that nature that's going to be hitting the market next year. So, um, Nikaias, we'll stay with you for this one. In your mind, what's the biggest on-court problem with the Heat right now, given the roster that they have? Um, Biggest on-court issue? Um. I would probably say shot creation is a little bit lacking. Um, They do have a lot, like Christian described earlier, they have a lot of guys that can fill a secondary role. But I also think that's probably Gorn's best role. And if he's your best offensive player and he's better suited as a secondary guy, that just kind of caps your ceiling. They just don't have that elite guy that can get his shot off anytime he wants to. Christian, same question to you. Yeah, um... Yeah, kind of on the, down the same line that Nikias was going. Just not having, not having like a dominant playmaker or dominant scorer. It's a lot of times it can be a little bit of who's gonna, you know, kind of take those possessions. Are we gonna go with the hot hand? Um, you know, especially late in games, that can that's led to problems with Miami in the past of people not being assertive, not taking open shots, um, always looking to make a pass. So it's. Those kind of questions have kind of plagued Miami for a little while, uh, especially without having a Dwayne Wade who's really in his prime. So that's one of the big questions they're going to have to solve. I think a Jimmy Butler move solves a lot of those problems. Um, you know, it kind of helps Josh Richardson as well because as good a defender Josh Richardson is, he still has problems with some of these bigger stars in the NBA, and that's asking a lot of him. So... They, they definitely have, need to do something, whether it's having, you know, one of these young guys really take a leap or, or getting somebody in there to kind of be the leading presence. But that, I think that's the big thing holding Miami back right now. All right. Uh, Chris, Nikias, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we truly appreciate it. Miami, I think, is a, is a fascinating team and one that the Pistons fans will definitely be paying a lot of attention, of attention to 
throughout the season. Um, what's the what's the best place for Pistons fans to kind of yell at you at the <laughs> Miami's he's uh, success throughout uh, the regular season, Chris? <laughs> yeah, uh, you guys can yell at me all you want at at the Maple Rick. What is that? Is that a Rick? Is that is that a Rick and Morty thing? So, uh, are you familiar with Kelly Olynyk's nickname? No. What is Kelly Olynyk's nickname? His nickname, because he's Canadian, is Maple. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. So, is that a reference to a maple leaf? I, I, or... um, it's a reference to something Canadian, I guess. <laughs> but... We want. We don't want to get the parental advisory rating on the uh, iTunes store. You, you so we may need to, to, uh, to uh, back uh, off that. Yeah, a maple, a phallus, but but um, <laughs> but yeah. And then I obviously yeah, I watch a lot of Rick and Morty, so I just I made a nice little Photoshop of of Rick Sanchez's face on Kelly Olynyk, and it just kind of stuck. I like that. Day. That's pretty good. Uh, Nikias, what's the uh, best place for people to yell at you about how much they like Dwayne Wade? <laughs> Lovely. Um, you can find me at Nikaias NBA. It's N E K I A S NBA on Twitter. Um, you can catch my words at Miami Heat Beat or B Ball Breakdown. I'm gonna be doing some stuff for B Ball Index when that drops. So um, follow me if you aren't already. Get ready for some fantastic puns and lots of basketball. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh, I forgot the puns. Yep, yeah, you can uh, <laughs> just like bookmark Nikaias's Twitter feed and like don't actually follow him because his puns are terrible. Wow. Wow! If only we had, they had a filter know, for puns. Right? <laughs> <laughs> ben, what, 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 where can people commiserate with you about Andre Drummond and Hassan Whiteside shooting threes? Oh man, hopefully nowhere because that's not hopefully going to be a thing I'm worried about. But at BR Golker on Twitter, DetroitBadBoys.com. Plan to get a lot more active writing now that the daughter ages. So those are the two places you can find me. All right, I like that, and I, lo- I love reading Ben's writing when it comes out and of course uh you can yell at me about uh the the development of justice winslow versus stanley johnson's development at last chance that's at l-a-z-c-h-a-n-c-e uh, i found out stanley johnson blocked me on twitter this week so that was fun what oh no <laughs> oh no what did you do? I'd, i've been talking of gr3 for like the last month and a half and i, I guess was it the show me tweet don't tell me show me I might, no it was before that it was before that oh, okay okay i don't know okay. what it was but apparently stanley has blocked a number of uh guys on our staff so was, that was a fun, really that was a fun interesting wow. a fun little slack chat i don't think there's anybody on the heat that's really that serious about social media it's on my side i've seen Hassan snaps Oh, he's oh, oh, that's right. And he's blocked people. I know he's blocked people. Yeah, so <laughs> I can't believe I'm safe. I'm not sure. How. <laughs> well, your strategy is brilliant. You know, using the HC twenty one. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, that's probably it. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm not sure how it was blocked like months ago. <laughs> All right, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will see you guys uh, sometime in the future. I don't know. I got some plans coming up. We'll see. Talk to you later, guys.